We're going to have some Bible teaching here in a minute. We can get them all rounded up here. Praise the Lord. <coughs> Praise the Lord. They're back there with their candy sacks and getting the candy. Praise the Lord. I love it. I love it. Get back there and get your get your sack and get you a sack full of candy. Isn't that awesome? Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I walked in here a here while back. I went to a healing school from another ministry, and uh, I thought, well, I'll I'll go sit down and, you know, for Saturday, they had one somewhere in the Dallas area here, and I thought, well, I'll go. I went over there, and, you know, here's one box of eight tapes. It's $100, you know. I thought, wow, you can get nothing free here, you know. Wow. So I, I, I bought a couple of hundred dollars worth of stuff from him just to listen to, but I thought, you know, you can come to my place and carry out a sack full and don't have to leave nothing if you don't want to. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm glad I don't sell mine. I'm, I'm glad I don't sell it. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I am so grateful to the king because he said, given it shall be given unto you. And boy, we don't ever have to be concerned about where the money's coming from to pay everybody that works out there to pay the bills or nothing else. God just... You know, and yeah, we're we're going to build another building, and here a while back, and then the other day, a guy sent me a, uh, I, I made a statement I was going to build a building, and he called me and said, I understand you're going to build a building. I said, I'm going to add on the ministry center. He said, What do you think it costs? I told him, Well, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I said, thirty to fifty thousand, somewhere in that neighborhood, to add a little piece on there. So he sent me some stock worth fifty thousand. You know, I hadn't cashed it in yet, so I thought, Well, you know, I just it's growing 300 bucks every quarter. And I thought as soon as, as soon as I get where I really get ready, well, then I'll just sell it. You know, it's worth $50,000. It'll pay for the building. So, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I, I mean, yeah, just, just, uh, just, in fact, he told me, he said, uh, I was raised a Catholic. And he said, when somebody gave me one of your CDs, he said, I was so blown away at what I heard. I thought, there is no way this guy can be right. So he said, I got my Catholic Bible, and I followed along with you. And he said, everything you said was in my Catholic Bible. And he said, I thought, went down and talked to the priest. I said, where have we been? You know, why do we come to church and do this every Sunday when this book's full of all these promises? And so he said, well, they didn't want to hear it. So he said, okay, I'll still go to my Catholic church. He said, I'm going to start reading this book. In fact, uh, I got a call from the other day. He's a lovely man. I met him once. He comes to one of the teachings we've done up north. And he said, <clears throat> you know, I'm a contractor. He's got some backhoes and stuff. And he said, we were having such a problem up there where they live in the north uh, with the uh, uh, inspectors. And he said, the inspector gave me so much trouble. He said, my guys, <clears throat> they were so we don't want we and nothing we can do works right for this, this inspectors. These guys are just giving us a hard time. He said, "Okay, guys, everyone, everyone get over here. It's just time to pray." He said, "I've learned a whole bunch about prayer." So he said, "I begin to pray. I begin to take authority over the enemy. I begin to remind God that I'm His son. I'm walking in obedience to His word." And I, I so he said, "I prayed." And I said, "Lord, I ask you to soften these guys' hearts. Now, Lord, we don't want nothing. We don't want no favor in doing something wrong. We're going to do the job right." We just want the men to approve it when we do it right. And that's what we want. And so he said, I thank you, Lord, it's done. So I told the guys, guarantee tomorrow will be a different day. 
He said, tomorrow afternoon when the day was over, one of my guys came to me. He said, Chief, every time we start a job, you're going to have to pray the first thing. He said, everything we did, the inspector come by, looked at it, and passed it. And we went right on. He said, it worked perfect. He said, these guys were totally different today than they were yesterday. And the only thing that happened different was you prayed. And he said, man, he said, I have learned so much about prayer and what rightfully belongs to me. And that's when he told me, when he called me, he said, you know, I stole from God. He said, I didn't know I was supposed to be a tither. He said, I give a little to the church. But he said, I was never a tither. He said, so I need to catch up on my tithing. But he said, I'm not going to give it to my Catholic church. They don't teach me nothing. So he said, I'm going to give it to you. He says, uh, do you need anything? I said, yeah. He said, I heard you say you was going to add on to the building. I said, yeah, that's true. And when he said, well, what do you think it's going to cost? I said, well, I really don't know. Somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to $50,000, I guess. Uh, I said, I don't know, but somewhere in that neighborhood. So I said, well, I've got some stock. And he said, I'll just send it to you. Well, when he sent it to me, you know, I checked out what it's worth, 50 grand. You know, so he sent it and, he sent it and give it to the Living Savior Ministry. So, you know, we just, uh, I hadn't cashed it in yet. I'm just, it, it brings about three or $400 a quarter in. We've had it for, you know, six months now, I guess. And uh, so anyway, man, we're in the very near future. We're going to start building a little addition onto the ministry center. I'm just rapidly running out of room out there. So we're going to add a bigger building, you know, and uh, we're going to keep on going. Praise the Lord. As long as we're going to occupy till the king comes, you know, so we're going to build a big enough building that's going to last us, well, I don't know how long, you know. So we're just going to, I'm going to put a big enough shell up, I think. Of course, when I built that 40 by 90, I thought that'd last me forever. You know, and little did I know, you know, how quick it was going to get too small. Little did I know. Of course, when I built that, I didn't have nobody working for me. And one bedroom, one bathroom, one little kitchen's all in the world I needed. But the Lord moved to my heart for even before I got the concrete poured that you need to add another bathroom and two more bedrooms in this end. I thought, why in the world do I need that? It's just me. Little did I know what the king's plans was, but he knew what tomorrow held. Little did I know he was fixing to bring, you know, other people into my life to work in the ministry. Uh, little did I know that, uh, I mean, here I am, the chief cook and bottle washer. You know, I teach this material. I set up the cameras. You know, I record the tapes. I make the labels. I put them on there, and then I give them away. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely didn't know he was going to break his shirt. I had no idea that was going to happen. You know, another wife, give me a break, God. You know, <laughs> you know, a woman back in my life again. Lord, oh, my lady. He said, yeah, you need a woman. You need somebody to keep you in line. So he said, I'm going to send one of my daughters to keep you in check. I said, oh, my lads. And, of course, it's been a blessing for me and her both. We've had lots of fun. You know, as we, as I, and I said this the other day, and I told John this a while ago, I said uh, last week, Cheryl and I both had an attack from the enemy. I mean, you know, when I came back from Seattle that uh, Sunday night <clears throat> or Monday night, I went to bed in that motel up there in uh, uh, Billings, Montana. Perfect. And woke up within a couple hours, and the devil was attacking my throat. I was having trouble talking and all kinds of stuff. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if any evil soul eyes were generated in the bed I was sleeping in. You know, I wonder how many demons was in that room, you know, and I didn't even walk in there and cleanse it by the power of the blood or nothing. I just walked in there and went to bed, you know. So 
Anyway, I woke up with an attack from the enemy, and of course, uh, I come home, Cheryl had, she'd had an attack from the enemy, and both of us had an attack, and about three days later, we were both laying at three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, thrashing around the bed, coughing, hacking, and all this kind of stuff, having trouble breathing and everything else, and all of a sudden, she starts laughing, saying, you know, isn't this amazing? Here we have a healing ministry. We can't get ourselves healed. <laughs> So you got to realize that we all have attacks from the devil. You know, the beast comes upon us, but it is a it's a time when you just have to just stand on the word, rebuke the devil, and press on, and God will heal you. You don't never have any negative thoughts that you know that well. Why is this not working? Hey, it's working. It's working, but God's working it in His time frame. He's doing something to straighten us up, to teach us something, and. Of course, I realize a lot of people tell you God will not put nothing on you to teach you something, but I'm going to tell you He will put something on you to teach you something, too. I used to not believe that either, but there's so many things that I've learned from the Word as I read it. <coughs> now I realize that totally, completely, God's in control. I mean, He's in control of everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing happens without His okay. You know, the devil don't just come by and do something to you. He don't come by and make you sick or nothing without God sending him. I mean, that, that's kind of hard to grasp. But when you look at the Word, you'll find out if you obey the king and you do everything the king tells you to do, He, the king tells you that the devil will not be able to touch you. So it's not what we want to hear whenever I come down with something, you know, like I did and like Cheryl does, did. Uh, both of us come down with us together or, or a stopped up throat. The last thing that people want to hear is, Hey, you messed up. You done something wrong. You opened the door to the devil. But I'm gonna tell you that's a fact. That's just the way it is. All of us open the door to the enemy somehow, some way, at different times. And probably if the truth was known, we open the door a whole lot more times than we get hit. You know. <laughs> Here's a lady over here, she just closed her eyes, shaking her head, thinking, If I got hit every time I made a mistake I'd have been dead a long time ago, right? And that's the way we are. But God is merciful, and He is patient, and He is long-suffering. Just like you and me are with our children. So many times, our children will do something wrong, and the first time they make a little tiny mistake, you don't get the belt and start beating the thunder out of them. You talk to them. You give them a chance. You know, and then maybe, if they keep doing it over and over and over, maybe eventually you take away something or whatever. But if they still don't get their attention, eventually you're going to get the strap out. You're going to get the belt out, and you're going to buff their little behind. Now, that's the ultimate. You know, you didn't plan to do that. You didn't want to have to do that. And when you tell them, now, this is going to hurt me worse than it does you, they don't believe that. You know, but that's the way life is, you know. But uh, if we want to walk free of all sickness and disease, we're going to have to know the Word. We're going to have to know who we are, what we can do, because... You know, the last thing a sick person wants to hear is, I'm sick because of sin. You know, but I'll tell you, that's true. That's true. We, we don't want to hear it. But it's just a fact of life. <clears throat> so if you don't want to be sick, you're going to have to realize who you are in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to start tonight. So if you'll get your Bibles, uh, we'll go to Colossians chapter 2. I mean, the, the the two sets of scriptures that we have here, let me turn the air conditioning down just to, or up a little or whatever you want to call it. I see some of y'all shaking, putting your coats on and all kinds of stuff. But earlier today, 
it was 90 today. You know, that was something. Yeah, and a while ago when Cheryl and I got in the car to come over here, it was uh, like 80, you know, even late in the evening. So, But today when I was out running around at 2 o'clock today, it was 90, 90 degrees. At least the temperature gauge of my car said 90. In fact, maybe one of them I got in for a little while today. The temperature, of course, I realize it gets hotter with the sun shining. When I got in the car, the windows rolled up. I looked down to the temperature gauge and it said 95. So it was hot inside the car. You know, 95 is warm. But anyway, let's go to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I want to start in Colossians chapter 2. And I really was going to start at verse 6, but I've decided just to start at verse 1. In Colossians chapter 2, because there's some good stuff there. Uh, Paul's trying to teach us. And the more I read these scriptures, and I know some people... Some people would think I've lost my mind the way I do things, but I can take, like the other day, I put the book of Romans uh, in my a CD, on the whole book of Romans, in my tape player or my CD player in my car, and everywhere I went for like three weeks, I listened to the book of Romans at least six or eight times. One book, you know, all chapters, over and over and over and over. And then the next couple of weeks, I listened to 1 Corinthians over and over and over and over and over. And now then I'm on 2 Corinthians, and I've listened to it two or three times in the last week. But, hey, you have to continually bombard your mind with the Word. And if you listen, God will give you continued revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding from the Word. Now, if you're not willing to get into the Word and, and, and put Him first and do that, you know, and talk to him regularly and, and really love him and worship him, I've come to find out that he's not going to do a whole lot for you. You know, I, I, that's, I mean, I know God loves us, but he has a way of doing things. And obviously, I didn't get it right for a lot of years because, I mean, I loved God. I went to church. I was a deacon in a church. I was a Sunday school teacher in a church. But did I ever see an answer to prayer? No. Did I ever see anything that I knew was a direct answer to prayer in the church with a 1,000 or 1,500 people in it? Did I see any miracles? Did I see any healings? Did I see anything that would let us know that God was really there? No. I didn't see anything happen. If we prayed on Wednesday night for people, did we ever see anybody get healed? Not that if God did it, you know, nothing supernatural. You know, I don't think we expected anything. You know, I really don't think we expected anything from God. So we didn't walk in faith. We didn't ask in faith. So he didn't show up. <clears throat> or if he did, he did it so slightly. You know, but to see God do a miracle, wow. That's just, that's beyond your imagination. I thought he didn't do it, things like that no more, you know. And a lot of churches think he does not. And the reason they think he does not is for the simple reason because when they pray, Nothing happens. Or you take that gentleman that was from the Church of Christ here a while back that come and give his testimony. He said, I've been listening to your teachings. And he said, I had this terrible problem. I forget now what it was. So he said, I, after I heard your teachings and I looked and it was in my Bible, I went to my pastor and the elders in my church and I wanted them to anoint me at all and pray for my healing. You know, instead of going to the doctor. Because said, God made me a promise. He said, it's in my Bible. So he said, I went to the pastor and called some of the elders together, and they looked at that, and they said, well, but you know, maybe it's not God's will to heal you. 
He said, no, no, no. It says it is His will. And then he, he had learned that Second Corinthians one twenty for all the promises of God, if you're in Christ, is yes and amen every time. So he said, if that's written in my Bible, I heard another preacher preach on this stuff, and he's seeing God do all kinds of wonderful things. He said, I believe with all my heart, if you've got to pray with me, God will heal me. So he said, they did. They anointed me with oil, and they prayed over me. And then my pastor said, now then, we prayed over you, but we suggest strongly tomorrow that you go to the doctor and continue to get the checkup and all the stuff because we really don't know what God's going to do. He said, I went to the doctor the next day, and he said, everything I had was gone. I was completely healed. I said, well, let me tell you, it wasn't your pastor and the elders that got you healed. It was your faith in the Word of God that got you healed. Because those guys didn't have any. Now, see, God honored the man's faith, didn't He? See, He honored His faith. Because He had heard the Word, He believed the Word, and He stood on the Word as it was written. And He said, Thurman, I believe. In fact, when He gave that testimony up here, He said, I believe with all my heart that God would heal me. But He said, my pastor and my elders didn't. Because as soon as they prayed for me, He said, they shoveled me off to the hospital, to the doctor. But He said, when I got there... I was healed. All the tests showed there's nothing wrong with me. He said, in spite of our unbelief, God healed me. I said, no, no, it was your faith that God honored, not theirs. Now, you know, you can take places in the Word of God. We can take, we can go and see that when people was brought to Jesus, when He was here on the earth physically, we can find the paralytic that, you know, the four friends of His, they carried Him. He couldn't walk. They carried Him and they got there and they couldn't get in. I mean, there was a herd of people there. So, so they said, we want our friend prayed for. So they go up on top of the house, and they take the planks and everything off the top, and they let him down with ropes. And Jesus looked up seeing all this, and he, Jesus said that he saw their faith. And he healed the boy because of their faith. Now, see, somebody's got to exercise faith. Somebody's got to exercise faith. If you don't exercise faith, you're not going to see God do very much. But when you start exercising faith, wow. You know, you can see God do all kinds of things. Now then, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, I'm, I'm going to be... Both translations, I love both translations, the King James and the NLT. The Both of them have got different things that I'd, I'd like to mention as I get to different parts. But... I'm just going to do most of the reading out of the NLT. Paul says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. Now, he wrote, obviously wrote a letter to that church, but we don't have that letter, or it's not in the Scriptures. But he's agonizing for that church. You know, he's, he's in fact, most, some of us don't know what it is to agonize for someone else in prayer. And some of you have agonized for a friend or a loved one, you know, that you've come and you've prayed over and you've pleaded with God. You've done all kinds of things. And maybe you were the only one that had any faith at all in this deal. You know, you might have a friend. In fact, <clears throat> I heard a man tell me one time there was a, uh, a grandson and he was going to a man's church that was a man of faith. And he, he began to learn these principles. And he went home, and his granddaddy was in really bad health, and he was a really old man. And he had not learned these principles. He didn't know them. You know, he'd been raised up in uh, just a normal, traditional church. So when he got home, he prayed over his granddaddy. 
and his granddaddy died anyway. Well, he got mad at God, you know. He just said, God, I prayed in faith, my granddaddy. He didn't get healed. Well, when he got back home after the funeral, he went and sat down and talked to his pastor and told him, he said, you know, uh, what you teach don't work. He said, sure it does. It's God's Word. Sure it works. He said, no, I went home. I prayed in faith over my granddad, and he was very sick, and he died anyway. And this was a very wise pastor. He said, what was the will of your grandfather? Did he want to be healed? Oh, he said, no, not really. He said, I tried to explain these things to him, but said he said he'd never been taught those kind of things. He said he was like 80 years old or something. He said, son, I'm ready to go home and be with Jesus anyway. I don't want to stay here no longer. I want to go home to be with Jesus. Now, what was the man's will? He wanted to go home. Now then, if that man has his own will and he wants to go home, you think God's going to let his grandson overstep that man's will? No. <clears throat> that man's got to want to know. He's got to want to stay. He's got to want to fight the battles of faith. He's got to want to do something for God or he ain't going to get there. He's, God's going to let him die, you know, because he didn't know these principles and didn't ever learn how to stand on them. You know, so <clears throat> God's not going to allow some younger person or anybody, as far as that's concerned, to overstep your faith if you want to go home to be with him. You know, he's just, I don't think he's going to do that at all. But anyway, Paul's agonizing for these people there at uh, Colossia and at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. I wonder how many people in our ministry that we have prayed over, agonized over. I get cards, notes. In fact, Cheryl and I walked on the way down. She said, I knew I was going to get this full name. I only got this name. And they called and asked you to pray for this child, this person. So, I only got a first name. But I said, God, you know the name of this child. You know, so I said, we're coming to the throne of grace. We're praying. We're agonizing over this child. Lord, we know that the parents probably are in fault in sin. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to forgive the parents. We ask you to forgive all of their sins, whatever they are. If they got any unforgiveness, we ask you to forgive them. And then, Lord, we ask you to be merciful to that family. And we ask you to be merciful to this little child. We ask you to heal this child. In the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, you said if two of us on earth could agree about anything we ask you for, you would do it for us. So, Lord, we consider this child healed in the name of Jesus. Now, see, that's how you pray. And then tomorrow, whenever you, or next week or whatever, uh, and we've had this happen many times, somebody calls the next day or the next week and says, Wow, my grandson, which wasn't going to make it, is alive and well. Now the hospital home, ain't nothing wrong with him. Praise God! Well, hey, you know, that's what we should expect. Is that right? As children of God, when we pray like that, we should, when we agonize in prayer for someone else, we should believe the king's going to hear our prayer and going to answer it. And he's going to do something. You know, if you don't believe he will, then he's not going to. You know, you can't, somebody said, well, what do you think about that child you prayed for yesterday? Well, I don't know. You know, I sure hope God was listening. You know, maybe he might do something. Ain't no faith in that. You know, no faith in that. You're not going to see God do anything with that kind of faith. But it, it takes out of your life to be able to agonize for people in prayer. You know, just to pray for people. Just drive it down the road. You know, when you wake up in the morning, pray. Worship the Lord. Thank Him. During the course of the day. You know, it's, a, it's amazing. Last night I sat up till, uh, well, I was up till 
pretty late, but those little blocks that Cheryl's going to put back there, she wanted me to make her a bunch of those things. So I went out last night about 10.30, and I cut 150 of those things and nailed those things up, and I finished those about 1 o'clock this morning or 1.30, whatever it was. And as I was sitting there, you know, nailing those things together out in the shop all by myself, ain't nobody out there but me and God, I'm talking to him constantly. I mean, I, I just got a... I got a, I'm sitting down in a chair after I got them all cut, all the pieces cut. I got piles of pieces laid here and here and here, a big box of nails here and a hammer here and a little table, steel table, and, and I got a chair. And I just reach to get a piece, a piece, and this hand gets a nail, and I start hammering. And I, I, I just get into a rut of doing that. But I'm doing that, but I'm not doing that. I am praising the king. I'm praying over people. I'm praying over the ministry. I'm doing all kinds of things. But yet I'm physically working, doing something. But that's just, that's something of the world, you know, and I'm not really not there. I'm just, you know, I'm doing something. And after an hour or something, I get all uh, tired of doing that for a little while, sitting in one place doing the same thing. So I'd get up and go do something else in the shop for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, to get a little exercise to move to do something else, to do whatever. And then I'd come back and start over again. So about 1.30 <clears throat> or whatever this morning, I finished that. And then I went into the minister center, began to read emails and everything. And Cheryl said, you know, we've got an uh, email here from a Southern Baptist pastor in South Carolina. wants us to come over there. <clears throat> she said, how long would it take for us to fly over there? And so what would it cost? So I ran in my office, <clears throat> pulled up all the software, everything that I have to put a flight plan in from Dallas 52F to that Sumner, uh, South Carolina, and looked at all the places I'd have to go, the airports between here and there, where I could stop and get the best prices on fuel and all that different stuff. And that took about 30 minutes. So it was about 2 o'clock or something when I got through that. And so this morning, when we lay down in bed, it was about a quarter to five. You know, I thought to myself, you know, I could call Ty. He's already up. I said, he's already up going, you know. But it was a quarter to five when we pulled the cover up to lay down to, go to sleep. I thought, wow, isn't God awesome? You know, how fast your day goes by. And so this morning I slept in until about uh, 1030 or whatever it was. And I also had asked the Lord last night. I set my alarm and Cheryl said, ask the Lord to wake you up. Just a few minutes before your alarm goes off, so you won't wake me up. I said, okay. So I did. I asked the Lord, and I woke up. And when I woke up this morning, I thought, I wonder what time it is. And I reached over, and it was one minute until my alarm was going to go off. One minute. I thought, Lord, you're so awesome. So I turned it off and got up and got me a shower and everything. And then from there on, the day was a busy day for me. I mean, I had things going 90 miles an hour all day. We had mail to take to the post office and all kinds of stuff, you know. So I was really busy. <clears throat> but anyway, the Lord is telling us here, He says, My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. That's what Paul's praying for. He wants us, you, to be knit together with strong ties of love. And every time I think about love, I think about what I preached on here a while back on love uh, on Sunday. I didn't plan that that day when I got here. You know, I had another message planned, and I was sitting up here, and God told me he wants me to teach on love. 
And so I did that day. I taught on love. And then the Dave, uh, after he heard that, uh, he went home and he has kind of agonized over some of those scriptures ever since. And he's been in there. And yesterday I was out uh, there. I think it was yesterday. And uh, he's got a little motorhome he's rebuilding. And so it's out in the back of our property. And I saw the door open on the side of it. And I drove out there. And he was sitting in it in kind of a little lawn chair, you know, with his feet kicked up, his computer up there, and his Bibles and everything. I said, what are you doing out here? He said, this is my private office where I can, you know, study in quiet. And I said, oh, okay. So what are you studying? He said, this love thing, Thurman. I said, it's pretty tough, isn't it? He said, you know, I think we ought to reach up and take that page and tear it out. <laughs> I said, you mean you're telling me you're just like me? You have trouble walking in that lot? He said, I mean, to really go in depth. He said, it's almost impossible to do what God told us to do. It's hard. So, but hey, I mean, it'd be, wouldn't it be so much easier to just tear it out and throw it away? You know? But see, that's why God puts us to the test. But this is what Paul wants us to hear. He wants us to be knit together by strong ties of love. But it's hard to let that happen with the flesh. Because we're all human beings. You know, and the flesh is, is, there's no two ways about it. The flesh is our worst enemy. No two ways about it. This beast, oh goodness. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan. Complete understanding? Have you ever thought about praying a prayer for somebody that they have complete spiritual understanding of God's secret plan? Paul's praying this for you and me. We need to pray this for each other that we will have this complete understanding. Because if you don't have the complete understanding that God has for you, if you just read this book like I used to read it, I used to sit down and read this like a novel, you know. I'd sit down and say, well, I'm going to read three chapters of whatever tonight. And you know what I learned? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I could, I could read three chapters, and I got up, and of course, I'm doing a duty. You know, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. So I sat down and I read, okay, Colossians chapter 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read those three. So I read them, and while I'm reading them, I'm thinking about what I did today or what I'm going to do tomorrow. Now, I know none of y'all ever had this problem but me. Do y'all know where I'm coming from? And when you get through, you get up and you say, Okay, Lord, I, had, I read three chapters of, of Colossians 1, 2, and 3. I've read them. I've done my duty. And you walk up and, and walk up to Joseph. Joseph said, What have you been doing? I've just read Colossians 1, 2, and 3. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> oh, my lands. Well, let me go back and get the book. I don't remember anything. Have we all done that? I couldn't tell you not one single thing I'd read in three chapters. And I just got through reading it. That's awful, isn't it? It's awful. But that's where we are. And the reason we don't get this is because nobody's praying for us, or you're not even praying for yourself. Lord, you can pray for yourself. Lord, please give me spiritual understanding and knowledge of this wonderful book. Now, if Paul could pray those kind of prayers, you can pray those kind of prayers. You need to pray, take everything he put in here as an example and do what he did. And if you do it, then God will begin to open your understanding to the Word. Now, if you don't ask him for nothing, he knows you need it. But he ain't going to give it to you because he said, I know what you have need of even before you ask. 
So if you don't ask, you don't get it. Somebody's got to ask. <clears throat> then he says here, he says, uh, which is in Christ Jesus himself. And look at this next verse. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, in Christ, where is all of the secrets of the universe? In Christ. And where is He? Hey, he's in, that's exactly right. He's in there. So, if He's in there, and all the secrets and knowledge and revelation and wisdom and knowledge of the universe is in Christ, then you have that in you. Providing, of course, you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't have nothing. You don't understand nothing. Nothing makes any sense to you. Spiritual things. You'll laugh at these crazy things. You know, you mention to someone, you know, that, you know, you know that Jesus is the healer. And they don't know Jesus is their Lord and Savior. You just give me a break. The doctor, he's the one that takes care of my problem. They wouldn't think about letting you pray over them. They expect God to do anything. They don't, they wouldn't even, unfortunately, most Christians wouldn't do that either, you know. So that's what's so sad. But, why do we not believe the promises of God? Because our spiritual discernment is cut off. We read a promise like James 5.14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise you up. And if your sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will forgive your sin. Is that an awesome promise from God? And how many people in the church use that? Almost zero. You know, I'd been in a church all of my life and had never saw that done. And then one day, I was telling a little Baptist preacher about this, and he said, you know, my dad's church, of course, he's a preacher too now. He's had a, his master's degree. He got out of the Baptist uh, 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 seminary. He said... Years ago, in my dad's church, when I was a young man going to high school, he said one of the women come down with breast cancer in our church. They were going to have to take her breast off. And she didn't want that. So she knew that scripture in James 5. She came to my dad and said, I believe with all my heart that if I will call you and the, the deacons of this church to pray me, I believe God will heal me, just like he said, and I won't have to have this, uh, my breast removed. And so he said, I was there, and I saw her. She wanted to do it on a Sunday morning with everybody present. She wanted everybody to see what she was doing, and she believed God's Word. He said, Thurman, my dad and some of those deacons anointed that woman with oil and prayed over her and said, God healed that woman. She didn't have to say her breast was healed. The cancer went away. She is totally, completely healed. And I said, well, did anybody else ever use it? He said, that bottle of anointing oil is still sitting on that communion table whenever I went to college. And I never saw that done again in my whole life in that church. How dense are we? I mean, here this woman had this done before the entire congregation and our king healed her according to his word because of her faith. And nobody else would use it. We had not changed much since the days of the Israeli people coming out of Egypt, have we? You know, as we read the other day, in Numbers, when they came out of Egypt, the multitudes, how many of them believed that they could go into the promised land and possess it? Two. 
Isn't that a shame? Two. Two. That's all. Well, we hadn't changed much. Now, we, we, need, we need to get over that, and we need to start believing our king's promises. You know, he made the promises. We need to believe him, don't we? You know, I look back there, and every time I look back there, and I think about your story when that guy's getting away from you, and he's, he's a police officer, of course. He's chasing that guy in Dallas, and he's on the camera. He's getting away. I mean, you can't even see the guy. And then he finally prays, Lord, send an angel or something. Run that guy under a bus or do something. Stop him in Jesus' name. Bam! He ran under a bus, stopped him, and he went up there and got to caught the guy, no problem. Now, is that something? But now you've learned to pray quicker now, don't you? Hey, yeah, praise, praise God. <laughs> he probably prays now before he goes to work in the morning, right? Never stop. That's absolutely right. When you learn how to pray in faith and learn that you have God on your side and the angels on your side, and when you pray in faith, He moves. And things happen. Wow. And he saved a little girl's life that day, a little nine-year-old girl, because of his prayer. Wow. What God does and how he answers, just like he did for him. When he prayed, bam. It was only seconds after you prayed that he stopped that guy, wasn't it? Yeah, just seconds. And, and man, for, we watched a film in here one night for ten minutes, him chasing this guy through Dallas. He's behind him with a, a, a squad car. And this guy is absolutely running through every intersection. I mean, you know, you see these things on TV, but you never dream these things really happen. But they happen regularly. And he was one of those. And, of course, you know, that guy was, it's amazing. Had nobody got hit of all the guys in the wrong ways he went on the streets and everything. And when he finally prayed, God stopped the guy in seconds. So, you need to learn how to pray. <laughs> That's for absolutely a fact. But if in Christ, if in Christ lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and He's in you, then all you've got to do is tap into that source by faith. Ask in faith. And what can He do through you? Anything. And now you've got, to, when, when He does these great things, who do you have to give the glory to? To the Lord. Yeah, don't you ever start taking it yourself. I mean, if you want to see your prayer answered only one time, you let something big and powerful happen, and when they get out say, man, that was awesome, you say, yeah, ain't I good, oh boy, but you're, oh, ain't I really something? The Lord says, okay, that's it. You're going to take the glory. You, next time you ask, you see how good you can do without me. I'm going to tell you all a story. I heard a preacher, I don't know if he can give his name, because I heard him tell it on national television. This big preacher, he said when he was a nobody, he said that he first began to learn these things in the Word, and he said he stayed prayed up, he prayed, he did all kinds of things, and he was asked to come speak at a church. And he said, I forget, there was a couple of hundred people there or something. He said, I got up here and I started preaching, and said people started falling down the aisles, people got healed, people got saved, and he said, wow, what a service. He said it was awesome what God did that morning in that church service. And he said that afternoon, the pastor wanted to take me to dinner. So he said his wife, and said we were out there having dinner, you know, and we're sitting and all of a sudden the Spirit speaks to me and says, you need to go back to your hotel room and pray. He said, I said, I'm quietly saying this within myself. God, I'm at lunch with a pastor and his wife. You know, I can't go back to the hotel and pray. So he said, I wouldn't do it. 
So he said, I just kept on eating and talking to them. And a little while the Lord says, Son, you need to go back to the room and pray. I think the Lord told him that three times. I believe what he said. And he said, I refused. Every time kept saying, Lord, I'm at dinner. I can't just get up and go back to the room. That would be rude. I've got to at least stay and finish dinner with him. So he said, by the time dinner was over, I had no prompting to pray. I went back to the hotel, took a nap that afternoon, you know, really had a great time. Went back to church that night, and he said, I preached that night for about an hour. Nothing happened. Zero. He said, it was the dullest, driest message. People went to sleep while I was teaching and everything. He said, I was never so intimidated in my life. He said, after it was over, I went to the hotel, and I prayed, God, what's wrong? Lord, how come you did such wonderful things this morning? You didn't do nothing tonight. He said, I told you three times to go pray. And you didn't because of your disobedience. I didn't show up. And you see what happened. You didn't do too well on your own. <laughs> That's a message for all of us. You know it? Every one of us. So don't you ever think it's you that's doing none of this stuff. If He don't show up, ain't nothing going to happen. If God don't show up, ain't nothing going to happen. I mean, so don't you ever start for a minute thinking, hey, I'm somebody. I've got all these wonderful gifts. I can do this. He said, oh, you think you're doing it, do you? Let's see how good you can do on your own. Just like I told you all the other day, how quick this happens. When Cheryl and I was coming back in the bad weather from Odessa, and yet when I broke out there, you know, and I got the runway in sight, I said, okay, God, I got it now. Thank you, Lord. I can handle it from here on. (laughs) Sure. He said, okay, let me see how good you can do and as soon as I touched down on the runway, we'd, come, we'd been out to West Texas making uh, television shows. And so we were coming back in. The weather was kind of bad here. And it had been raining and cold and everything else. And the very minute I touched down, the airplane turned sideways on the runway. You know, at 80 or 90 knots, which is 100 miles an hour, that's not exactly what you want to be doing. It's going down the road sideways on a runway in an airplane. And Cheryl, ah! you know. So I said, Lord, i got to have some help. <laughs> And immediately, of course, I straightened it back up. And after that, I told him, I said, Lord, please, when I say I've got it, I don't really mean i got it, Lord. (laughs) You know what I mean, don't you, not? Lord, I really don't have it. Lord, I mean, I felt a whole lot more comfortable when I popped out, you know, and I I could see the runway. But, Lord, if I say i got it, Lord, I really don't mean that. (laughs) I mean, with you and me together, i got it. Never let it be said that I got it. I always got to have your help. Because, I mean, all you got to do is say, okay, God, I got it. And he said, oh, okay, I'll back off and see how good you can do. Well, you talk about scaring your socks off. You know, you can get your socks scared off, you know, so you don't want to do that. So give him the glory and let him be in charge. And, of course, being a pilot, somebody told me, I had to out a sign there in the pilot shop said, God is my co-pilot. Would you like to have one of these signs? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> they said, why? You're a pastor. I said, I don't know, but God ain't my co-pilot. He's my captain. I'm the co-pilot. <laughs> I want everybody to know he's the captain on my ship, not me. I'm the co-pilot. So praise the Lord. So then, <clears throat> he said, I am telling you this so that you will be able, so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. So you've got to know, if you don't know what the Word of God says, you can be so easily drawn off. Somebody can tell you something and you don't know. If you don't know the truth, 
from God's Word, it's so easy for you to be deceived. And I am very happy because you are living in as you should and because of your strong faith in Christ. Now, see, he's happy because we're living as we should. How should we live? The just shall live by faith. That's the Word of God. We're supposed to study this thing, read this thing, look at this thing, meditate on this thing. And as we read and study the Word of God, we're walking in this love walk, which is real easy to do, isn't it, Dave? (laughs) No, it's not easy to do. Not for none of us. It's almost impossible to walk in a love walk. You know, it's not easy. I don't care. If you, if you figured out how to do this easy, you need to tell me. I ain't there yet. You know, I guarantee I'm not there. I still got a problem. One great big one. He weighs about 175 pounds. <laughs> it's called the flesh. <laughs> uh, y'all know where I'm coming from. You have one of these things you live in too? Does this beast want to do its own thing sometimes? You have one too, huh? Yeah, we all got one of them critters. And I guarantee it's our worst enemy. It's our worst enemy. Now then, as these people are walking, they're doing obviously a good job. Paul's been praying for them. So if his praying for their knowledge and wisdom and all this stuff is working, maybe we ought to try it more for each other in our church. Maybe, you know, not maybe. I know it would work better. So pray for us. And I pray for you. And Cheryl and I pray for the people, the church. Sometimes we drive along sometimes for hours and we just pray. You know, we're just driving along, talking to the Lord, both of us, praying to the Lord uh, for everybody. But now then, in verse 6, we're going to start out here and talk a little bit about this freedom from rules. Now, this will put you to the test. This will really put you to the test when you think about the freedom from rules and the new life in Christ. That's what, all, that's what this whole thing's about, the next few verses. The freedom from rules and your new life in Christ Jesus. And I didn't know these things for years. Didn't know them at all. And I lived in such bondage uh, because I didn't know this thing. But, and, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. That's the very first statement. If you want to live in the freedom and you want to live this, you're going to have to live and walk in obedience to the Word of God. Well, how are you going to walk in obedience to something you don't even know? You know, the average Christian is like I was as a deacon and a Sunday school teacher for many, many years of my life. If you'd have asked me to give, me, give you my favorite ten verses, I couldn't have done that. I could not have told you ten verses in the Word of God. Probably couldn't have given you two. The only one I really knew good was John 3.16. I had that. I had that one down pretty good. But in the rest of them, you know, I didn't know. And so that's why I couldn't walk there. But he says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. And this is for so many people that come and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior then they only serve Him for a week or a month or maybe a year, and then they're back out in the world. We get away from God. You know, we start sinning or whatever. And, you know, it's amazing how that if you learn a few of the principles and then you're in church and then you start getting in some kind of sin. In fact, I was so blessed today. 
Kathy, our precious little Kathy, she said, you know, Caitlin and I, that's her daughter. Her daughter's name's Caitlin, too, a little uh, Caitlin. And she says, last night we were reading the Word and talking. And she said, you know, it says, you shall not steal. And, you know, she's reading the Word of God. And it does say that. And said, all of a sudden the Lord convicted me that when Caitlin comes here, and she uses, just goes over and gets paper out of your copy machine to write on to draw pictures. She don't ask for that. So we're stealing that from the ministry. Did you know she's right on? She's right on. You know, so if she asked, she asked me, and then since I'm in charge of the ministry, can I give her that paper? And once I tell her she can take it and write on it, or if I say, you know, some of those things that we've printed out that we don't need, the sheets of paper that we've technically thrown away, if you want to just draw on the back of them, get all of them you want out there and stack them up in a stack and keep them, and therefore you can write on those all you want to. Now that she can get all those she wants to, and she's never stealing nothing else. See? Well, see, when God convicts you of something, like, for instance, I told her the story. I said, you know, there was a young boy one time in school that got caught stealing pencils. And he was before the principal because he was stealing pencils out of the teacher's desk. She caught him. The dad was come up, and when the dad came up, he said, Son, I can't believe you were stealing pencils. He said, If you needed a pencil, all you need to do is ask me, and I'll bring you some home from the office. <laughs> do you see anything wrong with that? If he worked for somebody in an office, he didn't own them pencils. I mean, the company bought those pencils for him to use for work, not for him to start bring them home for his child. Is that true? So he was stealing those too. But see, he didn't see himself as a thief. You know, so, I mean, how many of us, just like I tried to explain to my men out there when I used to be the manager out there at Skyship, they would take Cokes and they'd put one in their coat pocket and drink it on the way home. And I said, guys, those coasts belong to the airlines. But Thurman, we've got a cafeteria up there. We can get all we want. I said, that's right. The company buys those and puts them in a cafeteria. they got a drink machine up there. And you can go up there. Now, those drinks up there cost us cup, drink, and everything. It cost about a nickel a cup. That's what they cost us. But that can cost us a quarter. You know, we buy them for the airline. The airline pays for that. Now, once we buy that for the airline, they pay us for it. It don't belong to us no more. It belongs to the airline. So if you walk by and pick one of those up, put it in your coat and, and drink it on the way you just stole from the airline. You're a thief. And they said, Thurman, I mean, you're too much of a stickler on this stuff. I said, well, that's the way the word is. I said, you want to see God answer your prayer? I said, you got to stop being a thief. They thought I was nuts until they started seeing God answer my prayer. When they begin to see awesome miracles happen, when I prayed for people, they thought, wow, wait a minute, maybe what this guy's teaching us is the truth. You know, here you've been in church all your life, and you ain't never seen nothing, never seen a healing, you don't realize how you're a thief, you're a liar, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're everything in the world. You know, you're everything, and then somebody comes in and starts teaching you what the Word says, and you've never seen an answer to prayer. And some guy lays hands on a woman in a cafeteria one morning and everything from the top of her head to the bottom of her foot instantly gets healed. And they know this woman. And they think, what kind of a deal is this? We ain't never seen nothing like this. I said, you've got to purify yourself. You've got to stop stealing. You've got to stop lying. You've got to stop cheating. You've got to stop being an adulterer. 
you got to stop looking at the girls as she goes by and say, look at that good-looking woman. I said, you were guilty of adultery right there. You guys are all married. What's that mean? I didn't mean nothing by it. I said, I see you guys do it all the time. All the time. I said, you're adulterers. I said, then when you get mad at somebody over there and read him, come in my office and say, I don't know if I'm going to kill that guy. I said, you're guilty of murder. You're a murderer. I said, that's why God don't answer your prayers. See, they didn't understand these principles. So see, you've got to live in obedience to the Word. Do you want your prayers answered? Hey, I do. So if you want an answer, you're going to have to do it His way, right? So He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to the Word, to God. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him. Now, how in the world are you going to do that? How are you going to let your roots go down into Christ? Just kind of casually read the Word of God? No, you have to get in it in depth. And that's something that Dave, he gets in depth in the words. And just like as he was out there in his little private uh, office, and I went out there, he was telling me, he said, you know, this love stuff is tough. But Thurman, he said, when you really get into these words, start taking them apart, they're even tougher than you said. They even go deeper. Now, what's he doing? He's getting deep into the Lord, into the nourishment. The Lord's revealing great and awesome things to him as he studies this in depth. That's what we all need. He's revealing it to him. So, let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him so you will grow in faith. See, that's what you want. You want to be able to grow in faith so you can pray in faith. You want to be strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all He has done. Now, he's done so much for us and we take it for granted, but we really don't know what He's done for us. I mean, we heard that Christ died on the cross. We accept Him as our Lord and Savior. And that's all I knew for about 40 years of my life. I had no idea what was rightfully mine. I had no idea as a Christian what I could do. I had no idea that I didn't have to be sick. You know, that I could resist the devil and drive him away. I didn't have to be sick every year, two or three times a year, like I had been all those years. I didn't have to have those things. But I had to stand against the enemy. I had a set of rules here that really, they're not hard, not really that hard, but the devil will make it nearly impossible. Between the devil and your flesh, it's almost impossible to walk here. Now it says... Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense, my Bible says. High-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world, and not from Christ. Now, where do these, all these wrong things come from? They come from the world. Who's the world? This piece of flesh you live in. And also from the evil powers from this world. Now, we know who that critter is too, don't we? Satan and his host of demons. He, he done a wonderful job on me. Two-thirds of my life. I had no idea who I was or what I could do in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's like I just, I just 
didn't know nothing. I just couldn't fathom that now then, that as I read the Word, some of the things that are so clear to me now, I thought, Lord, how could I have missed these kind of things so many years of my life? How could I have done this? But I did. It says, For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body. How much of Christ? The fullness. The fullness live of Christ lives in a human body. How do you get that fullness in you? You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and technically speaking, the fullness of God's in you right then. But you're just like I was. You don't know it. All the promises of God are in you right there. All the healing of Jesus is in you right there. All the deliverance of God, all of His power, His knowledge and wisdom of the universe and everything is in you. All of it. It's in each one of us. But we don't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know how to act on it. I didn't know how to get God to answer my prayer. I didn't know these things. I didn't know the freedom that I had in Christ. I didn't know these things. So, he says that uh, He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. Who's in control of the universe? Jesus is in control of the universe. Over how many authorities and powers? All of them. So who's in control? Jesus is in control. Isn't that good news? He's supposed to be our brother, our lawyer, our attorney. And He's in us and all of the knowledge and wisdom of everything he knows it all, and He's in us. And He's there for you and me, providing we'll do what He told us to do. And boy, it's amazing what He will do for us. When you come to Christ, you were circumcised. Now, that's, these are the Jewish people. But not, not no, he's talking, excuse me, that's not what He's saying at all. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. You. But not with, by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. That's what He did. He circumcised your heart. He cut away your sinful nature. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So technically speaking, when you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became this magnificent new creature in Christ Jesus. A new creature. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Probably you didn't know it. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you didn't know what had taken place in your flesh. You didn't know what happened in the spirit world. You didn't know that you'd just been made a joint heir with the King of Kings. You didn't know you'd just been seated in the third heaven in Christ. You didn't know that all the spiritual gifts had just been imparted to you by faith. Everything was yours. You didn't know that life and death was yours. You didn't know the world was yours. You didn't know the future was yours. You didn't know the past was yours. You didn't know everything was yours in Christ. But it is. 
And the Scripture tells us that. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> you know, when I... Let me go back a, a few pages here. In fact, let me use my other Bible here right quick. I'm going to flip back to another Scripture here. And I want to go back to First Corinthians. I want you to see something. I read this Scripture... I don't know how many times, and it just absolutely is, is beyond my ability to comprehend what he's saying here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, 1 Corinthians three eighteen. Let no man deceive himself. This is the King James. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So if you really think you're somebody, just die to yourself and let Jesus have control. You know, but as long as you think you're somebody, you know, you go around bragging on yourself all the time, saying, boy, I'm this, I'm this, I can do this, I can do that. Hey, that's straight from the pit of hell. If you really think, oh, but I got these degrees. Man, I got degrees as long as my arm. You know, I got this, I got that, I can do anything. Wow, look at me. I am somebody. Well, well, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in the world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Pay real close attention. So because of this, therefore, let no man glory in men. Let no man glory in the things of men. For all things are yours. Now, wait a minute. What belongs to you as a Christian? Now, wait a minute. That's a little more than we can really grasp. For all... You have, to, you have to really chew on this to get this. And the more you chew on this, the bigger it gets. To swallow it is something else. You think, wait a minute, God. What do you mean all things belong to me as your son? He said, whether you're Paul, or whether you was Apollos, or whether you were Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all belongs to you. Wow! What did He cut us short on? So why in the world do we live where we live? Why do we live defeated lives? Why do we let the enemy beat up on us? Why do we go around begging, Oh God, please, if it be Your will, will You do this for me? Oh God, please, if it be Your will, will You heal me? We go around begging and pleading God. What do He say belong to you? So we don't believe Him, do we? No, we really don't. No, you can say that, but you don't. You've got to meditate on that Scripture. I read those Scriptures over and over and over and hundreds of times. I'm thinking, God, this can't be true. This is too good to be true. I mean, it does sound like it, doesn't it? It's too good to be true. And of course, that little... Voice will whisper in your ear. That's right. 
is too good to be true. That's not what he meant. You old worthless guy, you. Or if you're a woman, you old worthless woman, you. You know God wouldn't do nothing good for an old worthless critter like you. After all, think of all the things you've done wrong. He don't have any problem bringing back all of our sins. He don't have any problem knocking you and me, knocking our feet out from under us. You know, somebody, the minute you start, start to rise up and say, you know, God, all things are mine. The devil comes along and says, wait a minute. He reaches up and grabs you by the leg and pulls you back down there and says, wait a minute now. Let's think about all these bad things you did. You remember back yonder when you had an unforgiveness toward that woman? You remember when you had that unforgiveness towards You remember that divorce you went through? You remember how bad a job you did raising your kids? You know, all these lousy things you messed up on? You, God couldn't possibly love an old worthless critter like you. And He'll call into remembrance everything you've ever done. And the first thing you know, you start meditating on those and you lose it and you're walking around about a foot high on the earth instead of continuing to rise where you're supposed to. See, you forget to come back and say, but God, He put, Lord, devil, God put all my sins behind me. He put them as far as the east is and west. He cleaned me. He made me a new creature in Christ. The old guy you're talking about, he or she's dead. I left them over there. I buried them. I'm now this new creature in Christ. I'm clean. I'm whole. I'm pure. I got on a white gown. I'm a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. And he gave me all spiritual gifts. They all belong to me. He gave me everything. Everything's mine. All I got to do is learn how to touch it in faith. All I got to do is learn how to pray in faith. All I got to do is realize when I walk into the throne room of God, I've got to realize that I have ever sinned, repented of everything I've done the day I got saved, up to the day I got saved. When I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, He put a white robe on me and He washed me and cleaned me and took everything I'd ever done and throwed it back in the seal of forgetfulness. And right then, I'm standing there clean and pure before Him. Now, if I could have known that I'm this clean, pure, holy instrument and I'm supposed to stay like that and I'm supposed to walk holy in obedience to His Word, I would have done things a whole lot different when I was growing up as a teenager. I've done a few things stupid. Not too many, but I did a few. You know, when I go back and look and say, well, you know, I, at least I didn't get off on drugs. At least I didn't start smoking. I didn't start running around with the wild women. I didn't have sex with all these girls that come along like some guys did. I knew those things were wrong, and I didn't do those things. You know, and I, I'm glad I didn't. I'm certainly glad today I don't have a testimony while I was on drugs for 10 years. I slept with a thousand women in my life. You know, I only had 47 venereal diseases, but I finally got healed of all of them. I'm grateful I don't have that kind of testimony. You know, I am grateful I don't have that kind of testimony. I'm grateful I ain't never had none of those things. I'm grateful that i never done those kind of things, that I have walked about halfway in obedience to the Word. Not completely, but I've walked almost, you know, in obedience to the Word. You know, when I, if I try to compare myself with the average Christian or average person I see today, I mean, I can't even compare with some of you. Because some of you lived in hell for 10 or 20 or 30 years in your life because you didn't know these principles. And you were not raised up in a good godly home like I was. And so you just raised up under the power of the devil. And, I mean, you lived the only place you knew to live. And the devil beat up on you like crazy. But, hey, it made no difference. Well, you or me, when we got saved, we started out the same place, clean, pure, holy. Isn't that awesome? So if you'd been the biggest sinner on the block for 30 years, when you got saved, there ain't no difference between you and me. 
Because when I got saved, God cleaned me up and made me holy. When He saved you, He cleaned you up and made you holy. And now then He made you a son or a daughter of God. And He told you that how many things belong to you once you become a Christian? You're going to have to meditate on that a little while. You're going to have to let that soak in. You're going to have to read that over and over. Therefore, let no man glory in man, for all things are yours. All things. And this great and awesome God that saved us, delivered us, and healed us, and everything else, He's in us. Now He says, walk holy before me. Holy. In obedience to my word. And if we will, He says, I bore your sickness and I removed your disease. So you don't never have to be sick again. You don't never have to sin again. I remember when I used to read on over here when I started about these things. And then I went over to First uh, Peter 2. When I got over here, let's go to First Peter chapter 2. And I used to teach this in a healing school just like this. First Peter 2, 24. The last line of First Peter 2.24, I'd say, By whose stripes you were healed. Now, that's written in the Word of God, isn't it? By whose stripes you were healed. I said, If Jesus heals you, I said, Then you can be healed. And one day the Lord spoke to me when I quoted that. He said, Son, I'm tired of you saying my word incorrectly. I said, God, that's exactly what you said. By your stripes I was healed. He said, son, you can't start in the middle of a verse and get the full context. He said, would you please go back up to verse 21 and start there? Then you get a little bit more of what I meant. So I said, okay. So I'll go back to verse 21. For even here unto were you called. Now he's talking to you and me there, men or women. For here unto were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Okay, I thought, that's okay, I know that. I know you died and you left us an example we should follow. He said, but you're not teaching what the example is. You're not telling them what I expect and what I require. So keep reading. Okay. Who did no sin? Now, wait a minute, God. I've been raised up in a church, told me I'm an unworthy sinner, saved by grace, and I sin all day, every day. But you said, I ain't supposed to sin. I'm supposed to do what you did as your example. And you said, there was no sin in you, so Lord, do you expect me to have no sin in my life? He said, yes. No sin. No sin. Is that what he said? Now, wait a minute. You know, the devil said, you know you can't go through the day without sinning. You know you can't do that. And guess who we believe? The devil instead of God. I mean, I, I believed it for years. But he says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Well, I'm going to tell you for sure. The only way I can go a week without having some kind of guile in my mouth was about six layers of aluminum tape wrapped around my head tight. You listen to what you say. You pay attention to every word you say during the course of the week. And like Dave's been telling me, <clears throat> pay attention to what you're saying within yourself even when you got your mouth shut. He said he gets in more trouble like that than he does any other way. How many times has somebody said something to you and you say, hmm, I'd like to get them. 
You didn't say it out loud. You thought it, though. Look and have a smile and say, you know, I really love you. And then, you know, <laughs> and down inside, there's something that says, I'd like to just get you. Like the little boy, you know, that his mama says, sit down, Johnny. Okay, mama. So he's sitting down, and you can tell he's steaming. He said, son, if you won't do those kind of things, I will let you get up. He said, that's okay, Mama. I may be sitting down in the physical, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) That sounds like a little bit of rebellion. Just a little. Is that kind of the way we are? Sure. Same thing. So the Lord says, when he, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Can you do that? Is that going to be easy? No, it ain't going to be easy. Somebody says something to you you don't like, you know, you want to just reach over and hit them three times, and then after you've knocked them out, you know, then you say, okay, God, now then I can handle it. I got even with them. I mean, that's the way we think, isn't it? It's so hard to walk in love when somebody does you wrong. Well, they reviled you, you know, to not revile back. When he suffered, uh uh-oh, now wait a minute now. Somebody's going to really get you today, and they're going to bring you. And, of course, Cheryl and I watched this video the other night, The Forbidden Book. Wow. Down at the bottom, it said, The price that was paid so you could have the Bible in English. Most of us don't even know. Those men, 500 years ago, that were in the Catholic Church, that decided they wanted to translate the Word of God into a language that the average English-speaking person could read. You know what? You know what the price they paid? They were all burned at the stake. Tyndall, everybody's heard of this guy Tyndall. Everybody, but nobody dreams what he suffered to translate into English. They tied him to a post, put Bibles around him, and then strangled him to death. As they tightened the rope, strangling him, they burned him. And what was he trying? Translating the Bible into English. And he said, Lord, forgive them. Now, how many of you, if you were going to be abused that severely, how many of you could say, as they're lighting the fire at your feet, Lord, forgive these people. They don't know what they do. Or how many would you say, God, rain down fire from heaven and kill them all? That's where most of us would be, you know it? <laughs> Do what? Yeah, I know. He did. And of course, you know, I think it was, was it Peter or which was it John? That, you know, when they were walking, when he said, we went over to Lord to get your room and they won't let you come into the city. James, one of them, one of them said, Lord, you want me to just call down fire from heaven to destroy them all? The Lord said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now, what spirit was he of? It wasn't God, was it? It wasn't God. That devil was in there saying, just get them. I mean, you know, they're not even going to let Jesus have a room over there and they ain't going to let no, have no food over in that Sumerian city. Just rain down fire from heaven and kill them all. And he, he spoke those words. Now, is that the way we sometimes feel? And he wasn't really being abused. They just denied a room and food. That's all they were denied. It's tough walking here, isn't it? It's tough walking where God wants us to walk. 
when he was reviled again, when he suffered, he didn't even threaten them. When he suffered. So next time we go to grumbling and complaining about anything, you know what we should say? When we hear somebody grumbling and complaining, I say, okay, turn around. Let's see your back. Let's see what kind of stripes you've got today. What kind of stripes you got on your back. Somebody says, well, I haven't been beaten yet. And I said, well, then shut up. You know, and let's do something for Jesus, right? Let's quit grumbling and complaining and go start doing something for Jesus. I mean, think. How would you like to think that your total crime was trying to help the poor and needy and they're going to find out about it and they're going to tie you to the stake and burn you tomorrow? If you're caught doing good for somebody in the name of Jesus, they're going to tie you to a stake and burn you. But see, you have this book in English today and the men that paid that price so you can have the freedom they died at the hands of the church. The organized church is the one that killed them. Most of you don't even know that. Most of you didn't know that this Bible you can buy so freely anywhere. The cost of it in English was every one of those men's lives. But that's just like right here in America today. I was only in one war, Vietnam. But most people, I mean, my brother-in-law, he was a little older than me. My sister was nine years older than me, so her husband was a little older than her, and he was in World War II. And I think about when he come home, the stories he told when they hit the Normandy Beach. He said there was men on that ship that said they didn't believe in God. But he said when we hit that beach, he said I never saw anything. He said men were dying everywhere. I mean, being cut in two with machine guns. And he said, men were, he said, I'm telling you, those of us that were still alive in those foxholes, they were talking to somebody in there. A man that didn't believe in God, now he believes in God. He's praying. Isn't that sad? You don't believe in God? Oh, yeah. You're driving across there on the ship, you know, you're drinking, having a good time, cussing, taking the Lord's name, vain, playing cards, you know, everything's fine. But you get over there to Normandy Beach and push on one of them little deals open the front of that ship out, and they go running up there on that beach. And the minute they hit the beach, bombs, and they were fortified, and thousands of men died that day. Thousands of men died on Normandy Beach. My brother-in-law was one of them that was there. He lived through it. But through that, he made God a promise. He had not served God very well before he left. But he made God a promise. He told me when he got back, he said, with all those bullets and bombs and everything else, he said, I made God a promise. He said, God, if you'll get me out of this, when I get back home, I promise I'll put you first and I'll serve you and everything. And he got out of it and he got back. But he lied. He didn't do it. And he died a terrible death at a young man, at a young age. I know a general that made God the same promise in Korea. And he promised God, God, if you get me out of this Korean mess, if you get me out of this alive, I'll serve you, I'll put you first. And he was a general in the Air Force. And God got him out of it without a stretch. And oh, how quick we forget the promises we make when we're under pain. And so he just forgot God and didn't serve him. So when he went back to Vietnam as a general, <clears throat> He was leading his squadron one day in his F-105. I worked on those F-105s, and he just got shot up. And he said, all the enunciator lights come on, 
And he said, I thought, well, I'll get only 25 miles to the sea. And when you're flying an F-105, 25 miles ain't nothing. You can get there in just a little while. But he couldn't get there. The engines flamed out. The airplane became uncontrollable. He had to eject. He knew he wasn't going to get to the water. So he ejected. Come out and landed right in the middle of a bunch of Vietcong. They took him to the Hanoi Hilton Hotel. And him being a one-star general, they really treated him with royalty. They tormented him beyond his wildest dreams. He said, I remember standing there for 12 days with those cuffs and everything, and they would not let me sit down. They kept poking me. I couldn't go to sleep. Twelve days I stood there. Days and nights. And every time he had moved, he said he'd cut the handcuffs were so tight, they'd cut plumb to the bone everywhere they were around my legs and my arms. He said, finally, they walked off and left me. And said, I told God, I said, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up, Lord. I messed up. I promised you if I got out of Vietnam or Korea, if you'd get me out of there, I'd serve you. And he said, I haven't done it. I lied to you. But he said, God, you helped me out of this one. And I guarantee I will serve you. Well, God got him out of it, all right. He stayed in that mess for seven years. So he well remembers. He was over there in that prison under extreme torment and suffering for seven years. But let me tell you, when he got out this time, he ain't never forgot it to this day. He's still serving God. How easy we forget. How easy we forget when God, when we pray and ask Him for something and He takes care of us. And because He's invisible, we think, well, I would have just got out of it anyway. No. You know, I think about that other gentleman that was in Korea. I can't remember his name. He's a preacher to this day. I heard him give his testimony about the torment and the pain. And he served God. But over there in Korea, how that they were they captured him and about 30 men. And they were taking him in sub-zero weather somewhere. And he knew they were going to kill him when they got there. He knew that. And so they came up over a hill. And he just decided, he pushed one of the guys and just run to the edge of the cliff. He said it's about 200 feet down and with shrub brush and everything else. And he said... You know, we didn't have enough clothes, enough shoes, or nothing. So I just pushed the guard, pushed him out of the way, and just run to the edge. And I jumped off. So when I did, all the other guys went with me. And he said, as we were running, tossing, falling down that cliff, he said, they were up at top shooting us. And he said, I hit the bottom. And a guy fell on top of me. And another one. And men fell all over me. He said, I felt blood running all over me as they were shooting into this stack of men. He said, when they all quit shooting, he said, they walked away. Obviously, there was nobody moving at the bottom of that. Every man in that pile was dead except him. Every man died there that day. He finally, after hours, was able to get his way out from under that pile of bodies. He was out in the middle of Korea now in that sub-zero weather with nothing to eat and very few clothes. How would you like to take minimum clothes and be out in zero snow tonight? No, he made it. Parts of his body froze, all kinds of things. When he finally got back to the Yellow River, he had served. He said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get to where our guys are. They're on the other side of that river. And I see North Korean troops everywhere down there. Lord, he said, I don't know how you can do it, but you promised if I'd be obedient and serve you, you would answer my prayers and you'd do anything I ask you. So he said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to somehow get me into our guys' camp. 
And he said, I closed my eyes and I opened them and I was standing in our camp. What can God do? Hey, I mean, you ought to hear this pastor today give this testimony about what he went through. But let me tell you, he got a tremendous, awesome miracle from God. But he was wondering where God was when he was walking for 30 days in that cold, freezing, with virtually nothing to eat, having to eat, you know, bark and everything else. He was trying to say, God, where are you? God had a plan, didn't he? But see, we don't understand this. But God can do anything. All we've got to do is believe him. But some of us sitting in this room here have never suffered for the name of Jesus. Not at all. So, when you go tomorrow and you're telling somebody about Jesus and somebody says, I don't believe this stuff and gets really nasty with you, don't let it stop you from talking about Jesus. Consider it pure joy that somebody's willing to talk nasty about you about Jesus. You hadn't been burned at the stake yet. You hadn't been left out in the cold like that. You didn't have a bunch of bodies of men fall on top of you and every one of them get killed. You hadn't experienced these kind of things. So, be grateful. We're spoiled rotten in America. You know that? And I love being spoiled rotten, don't you? I really do. So, you need to realize, just like he says here, when he says, uh, 1 Peter 2, who his own self, but he says after he was threatened, he didn't threaten him back. He committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins. He did that for you. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins. Now, just like Paul said, if we're dead to sin, how can you sin any longer? As long as you stay dead to sin, can you sin? No. So that's, that's something. It's very difficult to stay dead. Very difficult to stay dead. I have a difficult problem with this. But it's, a, it's something God told us to achieve. He says, that we being dead through sin should live unto righteousness, and then by whose stripes you were healed. You notice how that's put right at the bottom of all those things? Now, if you meet all the criteria from verse 22 down through 24, you'll have no problem walking in divine health. But if you think you can take one half of a line at the bottom and say, by his stripes I'm healed, and you can live any way you want to and walk in divine health, let me tell you, you've got another thing coming. You can't do it. I've made that statement a lot of times in a healing school until God Himself corrected me one day. Son, you said by, their stripe, by my stripes they were healed. But He said, Son, there's a some requirements that go with that. they got to do their part first. If they do, now if you think you can say, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed, and you're holding a grudge against your neighbor, he said, forget it. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let you walk in divine health if you're walking in sin. You know. Now, if you do what I told you, if you get rid of sin, because I bore your sin, you stop sinning, you stop that nasty stuff coming out of your mouth, when somebody says something, you immediately jump back at them. And some of us really got a problem with that, don't we? Somebody says something, boy, we can tell you. We can tell you where to get off. And sometimes we can tell it really good. Can't we? Oh, the biggest problem I got stands right here, right here at the floor. This piece of flesh I got. 
I tell you what, all you guys got one of them too, though. And some of you, I know you well. Some of you, I've heard it. Some of you, I've seen you demonstrate it. So I know. Don't you say, Because when you do that, you're pointing at me. You're pointing three back at yourself. See? I know how weak the flesh is. But it's tough. But you've got to stay in this word day and night. Day and night. Day and night. If you do, hey, then you can do this. And if you do what he says, then he says that you can be healed. I stripes you're healed. Now, the, after, let's go on a little bit here about the freedom that we have in Christ here in Colossians. Let's go on here. Let's see what some of these things are that we've got. <clears throat> this wonderful freedom that we have in Christ. It says here that You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. What is that? What was the charges that was against us? The law. The law was against you. He canceled that. He took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, in this way, think what he said. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. Now, wait a minute. You've got you to think about this. How in the world... By taking away the law, by taking your sin, and in taking away the law, how did God disarm the rulers and authorities? Okay, let's let's look at it in a physical realm. Look, we've got a law here that says you can drive 65 miles an hour out there on that freeway, or whatever. Say 60 down anywhere it is. 60 miles an hour. Speed limit sign says 60. How fast can you drive? 60. Now then, if you stay within the confines of the law, the rulers and authorities, how much power do they have to attack you? None. None whatsoever. In other words, I can, sure, when I get up on that highway tonight and start home, as long as I obey every speed limit between here and home, I know that I think it's 60 going up here to 635, then I know 635 is 60. I get on 60, go all the way around to 121, and then it drops down to 55 for a little while. It goes back up to 60 for a little while, then it goes back down to 55, and then it goes back up to 65. Now, I don't have a clue why they do all that on the same highway, but they do, you know. And I guess they do it to see if you're paying attention, you know, because if you're driving 65, many times we come in on 114 at 65, and all of a sudden it goes to 55, right there at the edge of the grapevine. And lots of times we see people just up the road just to block with a police car pulled over and stopped them. What were they doing? They wasn't paying attention to business. And the cops know that when they come by there, they know the speed limit is 65. And then there's a great big sign that says 55. But who's paying attention? You're listening to the radio. You're talking to your friend. Who saw the sign? And so when you go by there at 65, that cop ding, that little ding in his car says, Woo, there's a girl driving 65. She didn't see the sign. And so the cop comes over there and gives you a ticket. But, sir, at the speed it was 65. Uh, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, it was back there a little ways. 
I mean, me and Ty had that little problem here a while back going through town. I've told y'all before, we're talking, we ain't paying attention. We go through a school zone. Are we driving 50? I mean, the speed limit's 55. You know, no problem. We're driving 50, but we forget we drive into town. We're too busy talking. We're talking about Jesus. We're praying. We're just having a good time. We're talking about the Lord. But he's driving 50. And we go through a school zone that's 25. Or 35. Well, I think it was 35 out there on that highway. Anyway, it was a school zone. And so we're driving along there, and all of a sudden, we see the little lights. And Tyler, oh, there's a cop behind us. I guess he wants around. So we pull over, and he don't want around. He wants us. <laughs> now, two preachers? I mean, you know. And then not all, we found out after he stopped, we found out he was a preacher, too. He was, he was a chaplain. And he went and checked Ty's record, and he did everything, and he come back, and he said, well, you have a very clean record. But, he said, and if it wasn't a school zone, I'd let you guys off. But since it's a school zone, he said, I'm just going to zap it to you. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> I had to pay a ticket. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but we had, he had to pay a ticket. And, of course, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that happened because after we pulled off there, Ty started looking at the instrument panel. And when he did, he said, hey, we're also out of gas. <laughs> we were fixing to drive way off out in the country looking at a piece of land. I said, I sure am glad you started looking at the panel. He said, well, this is my wife's car, and I don't ever drive it. But say, when you, I don't care if it's your wife's car or who's it, when you drive it, you've got to look at the panel, right? He hadn't done that. And did it get him in trouble? Yes, it did. So when we don't pay attention to the rules, does it get us in trouble? Yes, it does. Now then, if we pay attention to the rules and God has freed us in Christ. Now, in Christ, He freed you. He freed you to obey the laws of the land. You know, and you can do it in Christ. It's, all you've got to do is just obey. Is that what He said? So now then, if we have the freedom to obey the laws of the land... He has taken away the authority of the devil to do anything to us. The devil can't come up and say, well, you know, there's Ty. He ain't broken no rules lately, but I'm going to kill him anyway. Now, if he could do that to you, he would, wouldn't he, Ty? Oh, yeah. He would love it. He'd love it for every one of us. If he said, well, there's Joseph. He's a Christian. There's his wife. I mean, they're both Christians, but I just need to get rid of them. (laughs) He'd do that to you, wouldn't he? But as long as you're walking in obedience to God's Word and this freedom we have in Christ, the devil comes up and he's got a demon watching you, Joseph. He's got several of them watching you. And he's got one watching you, too. It's just like he does me. And when you and I do sin, he says we fall from grace and we transgress the law. When we sin, we transgress the law. And so when we transgress the law, we fall back under this set of rules. And the devil said, oh, she just lied to somebody. I'm going to get her. You don't have to lie no more, do you? You have freedom in Christ not to lie. The Holy Spirit's in you saying, no, don't do that. You've got this wonderful voice that's in you saying, don't do that, don't do that. We know we have that. We hear it. And just like how many women have I had come to me and say, you know, Thurman, 25 years ago, I knew this guy I was going with was not a Christian. He would go to church and hit a little. 
And I thought, when I marry him, I know he'll go to church. He'll love me that much. Let me tell you, if he won't go to church with you before you marry him, forget it whenever you put that ring on your finger and you say, I do, it's a whole new world. How many of you ladies know I'm telling you the truth? That woman the other day come give me a testimony. She said, when I married my husband, said he said he was a Christian, but said, I didn't know he was an alcoholic until I married him. She said, I mean, after, I said, within days after we got married, he'd come home drunk, wiped out. And she said, for five years, I lived in hell. I said, God, I don't understand this man. And she said, Lord, there's been a few times he came come in so drunk. She said, I thought about murder a few times. But she said, I thought, you know, no murder has eternal life. So he ain't worth going to hell for. That's what she's saying about her own husband. He was a slob, you know, a drunk. And after five years, she said, I told God, I said, okay, God, I've done everything. I've tried. I've talked to him. I've pleaded with him. I've done everything I know to do. And I've decided I can't do nothing with him. So I said, Lord, he's yours. You see what you can do with him. In two weeks, he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the last 40 years of her life has been totally, absolutely blessed. She said, if I'd only known, I'd give him to God day one. But I didn't know what I could do or what God could do as long as I tried it. She said, I lived in hell on this earth with a drunk husband. Until finally one day I said, okay, God, he's yours. If you can do anything to it, you can. You do it. And said, in two weeks, God totally turned his life around, saved him, filled him with the Holy Ghost, and said, he's a deacon in the church now. Everything else is the greatest husband a woman could ever want. See? Isn't it amazing? The freedom that we have. But whenever she started to marry this guy, she said, I heard a little voice. Tell me. No. How many of you girls ever done this? You married some guy and there's a voice said, No, he's not the one. Oh, but you thought he's such a nice guy. He loves me so much. He'll be so good to me. I know he may not be what I want now, but I know once I marry him and move into the house with him, I can change him. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It don't ever work, does it? He just gets worse after that. That's right. So, I mean, if you don't know this, the best the man's ever going to be is before you marry him. If he's really a great man of God, you know, he, and, and you learn how to pray. You, and you learn how to pray like Cheryl does. You know, anytime I do anything that she don't like, she's got to where she don't say nothing to me. Smart woman. Smart woman. She knows she can't change me, so she just smiles and goes on, and then she goes and says, Dad. This husband you brought me, he's not doing this. You need to, I'm coming to the throne of grace. Dad, you need to get a hold of him. And God does. And he changes me, you know, and he softens my heart. She says, you need to soften his heart. He's a little hard here or a little hard. They want to do something here, and I don't think he should do it. Lord, if it's okay, if it's your will for him to do that, that's okay. But if it's not, Lord, you need to soften his heart. He's getting a little tough here. And God moves on my heart, changes me. See? So you girls need to know you have a great place in the kingdom when you come and say, Dad. When you snuggle up in his lap and say, Dad. He said, oh, come in here, daughter. What can I do for you? He can change your hubby's life. You can't, but he can. He's bigger. He's the boss. So anyways, this, this wonderful freedom that we have in Christ. Let's go on down here. It says, after he said that he forgave all of our sins, 
He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. In this way, God disarmed the rulers, the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross of Christ. In the cross. He completely, totally triumphed over the devil and his demons. But do you know, most of us don't ever live in that victory. Most of us as Christians never learn who we are. We never identify ourselves as who we are as sons and daughters of the King of the universe. You know, you don't live your life like Christ lived in you. You know? Did you know that if I, if I was conscious 24-7 every second that the King of the universe was right here standing beside me, there's things I do that I would do different. Are you like that? Do you ever say anything or do anything that you wouldn't say? Let's just say, do you ever use any words or any vocabulary that you're out even by yourself and you mash your finger and you say something? Well, you might have thought you were by yourself, but you wasn't. There was a whole host around you. Demons, angels, and Jesus. If they'd all been manifest and you could have seen Jesus sitting there, standing there, you might not have used that bad word, right? If you'd have been in church, somebody said, I bet if you were in church you wouldn't talk like that. I said, well, of course I wouldn't. In fact, I had a guy that worked for me for years, and he was a member of a good church, and he went to church all the time. And on Sunday, he would never miss church. But on Monday morning, boy, he could cuss with the guys. Ooh, man, he had a bad mouth. One day I told him, I called him out, I said, you know, I bet you don't talk like that in front of the deacons down in your church. He said, well, of course not. I said, well, what's the difference? I said, Jesus is in you right here, just like He is down there at church. I said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's there. So when you take His name in vain out here in the truck shop on Monday morning, do you think He don't hear you like He would if you're in church on Sunday? He said, I, mean, I guess I didn't think about it like that. I said, well, I think you ought to think about it like that. And you know what? That guy worked for me for 25 more years. And you know how many words of profanity I heard him say in the next 25 years? Zero. That one little talk changed his life forever. One little talk. What does God tell you and me to do to our brothers and sisters when we see somebody sinning? Sit down and talk with them. See what the Word says. I mean, sit down and discuss it. You know? And so you can change people's lives. You have the freedom to do that. Then he says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Somebody says, Am I, that mean I'm free to drink a glass of wine for dinner? Of course. If you like wine and you want to drink a glass of wine for dinner, just bless it. No problem. You know, I don't have a problem with that. So what if I drink water? Then bless it. If you drink water, bless it. Now if you say, well, if I have freedom to eat or drink what I want to, then I used to really like wine, so I'm going to go out and buy me a jug and I'm going to just go home and drink it. No, the Lord said, don't be drunk on wine, see. So you're going to break His rules there if you do that. You're going to give place to the devil. But if you want to have a glass of wine for dinner, there's not a problem with that. Bless it just like you do everything else. He said, or do not 
And see, so, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. You have freedom. Look what he says. For those rules were only shadows of the real thing. All these rules. It said, Christ Himself, He was the one. It says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial. I, one day I was in the barber shop. It had been years ago. And I was sitting there, and I got I talking to the barber about Jesus. I talked to everybody about Jesus, wherever I'm at. So I was talking to him about Jesus, and the guy sitting over there, he says, what kind of church do you go to? I said, I'm a Southern Baptist. He said, I thought so. He said, you go to church on the wrong day. I said, I go to church every day. I'm in church right now. And this was like Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it was. He said, nope. He said, Church, the only day you go to church is on Saturday. He said, that's the Sabbath, and that's the only day that you can legally go to church. I said, you know, you haven't read Second, you have not read chapter 2 of Colossians very well. He said, what do you mean? I said, I have freedom in Christ. I have freedom. I said, I can celebrate the Sabbath any day I want to. If I want to use the Sabbath as Sunday, I can. If I want to use the Sabbath as Monday, I can. It's not a set day for me no more. I have freedom in Christ. I said, I can celebrate every day as a Sabbath day. I have freedom in Christ. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, okay. (laughs) See, but why, why can you not deceive me with these things? I don't care what you tell me. I'm going to believe the Word. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. So somebody says, you know, if you ain't going to church on Sunday, you're going to hell. That's not, that's not scriptural, is it? No. I can celebrate these in Christ. I have freedom. I'm not bound by these rules no more. The law don't bind me. It's, it's only one rule I am bound by. The law of love. If we could walk in the law of love. Isn't that awesome? And all these things, the law and the prophets, fulfilled in this one word. Love. If we could only do it. It's easy, isn't it? You're lying, girl. It's not that easy. (laughs) We can do it, though, can't we? Sure we can. We can do it. Now, we may not be able to do it 100% of the time. Amen. There you go. We can do it most of the time. And we're going to try to do it all the time, right? You have to take control of the flesh 24-7 to do it all the time. But we can do it because Jesus told us we can. And as long as we walk into God's kind of love, you have freedom. I mean, so if I want to sit down and eat pork, can I eat pork? As long as I bless it and thank the Lord for it, can I eat it? Sure. He told me under the new covenant that all things that he made are clean. He said, but whatever you do, sanctify it with the Word of God in prayer with thanksgiving. So does that mean I can sit down and uh, every night at uh, 12 o'clock, have four dips of ice cream with almonds on them? 
I can, can I? But probably what's going to happen after a while? It may start showing up on me, you reckon? Now that once in a while I do that. The reason I said that because last night I did that. I had after I worked hard and long and everything out there in the shop, I came in and Cheryl said, What are you gonna do? I said, I'm fixing to have a bowl of ice cream with some almonds on top. She said, Well fix me one too. I'm gonna have one too. So we went in and I I I think she only had three dips. First she said, I I said, How much you want? She said, Well, a couple of dips. I put a couple, she looked down and she said, Hmm, maybe I need another one. I said, okay, I put another one. She said, hmm, okay, I think that's enough. I said, if that ain't enough for me, I'm going to have four. So I had not, I'm getting, I'm listening to Ty too much. He, he loves that ice cream, don't you, Ty? He loves to sit down and eat that. So we sat down there and we ate almonds. We blessed it and asked the Lord to bless it, you know, so, uh, but we did. We sat down there and had a, a bowl, big bowl of ice cream and almonds and everything and just praised the Lord and then had a cup of hot tea and everything else. And then I went and worked. That was about 2 o'clock in the morning. I went and worked another couple of hours and did some things and all kinds of stuff. And then finally 4, 4.30, quarter to 5, I think it was this morning, when we laid down to go to bed. And so, you know, don't you love serving Jesus? Don't you love having the freedom to go to bed when you want to, get up when you want to? Amen. You know, I mean, I used to have to get up every morning at 5 or 6 and go to work. I had to be somewhere. You know, I mean, I, some of you all done the same thing. Some of you are still doing it. I did that for many, many, many years, and I, you know, and I really do miss driving in every morning in all that terrible traffic. Lord, forgive me for lying. I don't miss that at all. I love not having to drive in and that. Every time I have to come in early, you know, we think about, you know, if we're going to take, take a flight or go somewhere and have to come in at five in the afternoon or six, seven in the morning, and I think about the traffic. I think, oh Lord. I'm so glad I don't have to fight this every morning like I did for years and years and years. But now then, that I'm truly, totally, completely serving Jesus. I definitely put in my hours, I'll say that. Lots of them. But, you know, I can do it kind of freedom. You know, Jesus don't care if I'm working, you know, from 9 in the morning or 10 in the morning until 2 in the morning. He don't care. You know, He gives me freedom in Him to do whatever I want to do. In fact, I'll tell you, one night this week, talk, just talk about the freedom we have at 11 o'clock the other night. I told Dave, I said, Dave, we need to do a little practice, and we haven't flown this week. So I said, I'm going to call and file an IFR flight plan. We're going to go out to the airport, and we're going to take off, and we're going to fly over to Millsap VR and then down to Brownwood, Texas, and then we're going to come back. And so we did. And I got off at 11.20 at night, and we flew down to Brownwood. You know, and, of course, flying down there, I looked down, and I'm doing 88 knots ground speed. I thought, wow, the day, what's the headwind? He pulled it up on the computer and said, it's only 50 miles an hour, right on your nose. 50. So we flew into Brownwood, done a VOR approach, and canceled our flight plan, took off, filed another flight plan, and got airborne, and we turned and looked in the computer and said, you're going to be at Northwest in 36 minutes. You're doing 220 miles an hour ground speed. Isn't it fun? Here it is, 1.32 o'clock in the morning. Me and Dave's out there flying airplanes. I mean, I have freedom in Christ to do all these wonderful things. Is God this wonderful? Is He wonderful? You still have to sleep at that time of night, so I can get up at 6 o'clock and go to work. And now I can come home and go to bed at 3 like that, and then I can get up at 9 if I want to, you know, and go to work when I want to. Because I have freedom in Christ to enjoy the wonderful things He's given me. And you have the same thing in Christ. You love Him, serve Him, Worship Him, 
praise Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart as you go through this life. And if you'll be obedient to serve Him, you'll have to fight some battles. It won't be without battles, but you'll have to, as you fight those battles, you'll be able to walk in divine health. And when the enemy comes against you to try to get you to sin, you don't have to listen no more. When the devil tries to tell you, so many young people today coming along sin in so many ways in the world of alcohol, drugs, sex, all those things. So when people come to you and say, oh, you had not tried this new drug, just try it. You say, no, I'm a Christian. I have freedom. I'm not about to put that junk in my body. I'm going to walk holy before my king. I'm, oh, well, and then that guy, you know, you meet the guy you think's the perfect guy, and he's asked you to marry him, and it's only three weeks to the wedding, and he says, you know, why don't we go ahead and have sex before we get married? You say, no. He said, if you really love me, you would. You say, well, I don't love you that much. <laughs> I don't love you that much. For you to touch this body sexually, it's going to be after the wedding ring, and you say, I do, then we're going to go to the hotel room. But until that time, we ain't going. Now, if you loved me, you wouldn't ask me. That's what you need to come back with. If you love me, you wouldn't ask me to do such a dumb thing. See, how many women do you know that have come down within the last two or three weeks before marriage and did that, and then the guy jilted them? You know why the guys do that? If you got girls hadn't figured that out yet, you can tell your daughters, your granddaughters, that guy's trying to conquer you. He's a worldly man. Even although he may be a Christian, he's still got that worldly part in him. And he's wanting to find out if you supposedly love him enough to marry him and you'll yield to him sexually, he'll say, this girl will yield to me. And if she'll yield to me, she'll yield to somebody else. So I don't want her. So yeah, he'll go ahead and have sex with you. And then he'll jilt you. And he'll run off and leave you. And then your heart's broken. And all you have to do is say no. And then he would have loved you forever. And been a good husband to you. But a lot of women never learned that about men. It's a game. And it works between every man and every woman that's ever out there. So whatever you do, don't yield to them. Walk holy in obedience to God's Word. But the freedom you have in Christ, you don't have to yield to no sin. I don't care if it's lying, stealing, cheating, anything. When you sit down to eat anything, you're free to eat anything you want to eat. Eat it in the right amount and never eat it without blessing it. Use some common sense. And if you do, the freedom you and me have in Christ, it's awesome. It's awesome. Total freedom, the liberty we have in Christ. Father, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us today, Lord. You've made this beautiful day as I stood out there while I and looked at that beautiful moon 248,000 miles away. I looked and I thought, Lord, you made that moon put it right there and not just for us, your children. So we can look at that beautiful thing. Lord, how you do that, how you make that eclipse like that. It's so beautiful. As you look at that cup of the moon, really it's a big, beautiful bulb. We can only see a little bitty part of it tonight. You do all those things because you love us. Everything you did, you did it for us, your children. You made the earth and the cosmos for us a place to live. You didn't need it, but you made it for us so we could enjoy it. Lord, we want to give you praise and glory and bless your holy name tonight because we do love you and we do so gratefully praise you and thank you and worship you for all the things you've done and the freedom you've given us in Christ.
and how you've washed away all of our sins, how you've bore our sickness, removed our disease, so we don't even have to be sick and afflicted. All we've got to do is walk holy and obedient to your word, and we can walk in divine health. Lord, I am grateful. I am grateful that you've taught these things to me. And Lord, I'm grateful for the word, and the word is written. Anybody can get it if they'll just listen to you and believe you. Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ, Lord. Help us to walk in that freedom. Help us to go forth this week and tell somebody about Jesus. Help us, Lord, when somebody condemns us or slaps us in the face, help us just to come back in love, realizing that it's nothing compared to what these men that gave their lives for us in war and these men that gave their life totally for just translating the Word of God in English. They were all burned at the stake and killed just so we could have the Bible. Thank you for those men, Lord, that paid the price. And I know you've got a special place for them. And I know you've given them great rewards. Because they were obedient to your word. Help us, Lord, that we'll be obedient to your word. And use us this week to bring glory and honor to your precious name. Because you alone are worthy. And we praise you and thank you that we're your children. Now bless us as we go forth this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.